How we doing, y'all? Welcome to episode 53 of the Tim Weichselbaum program. I am Tim Weichselbaum. I am a podcaster, a businessman, a industry trendsetter of the community of artists that I'm currently... Sorry. I meant to talk like this for this for this episode. Hey, yo, I'm dressed like a cowboy. You know what that means? This is going to be a racist episode. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. Uh, 30s. I am in my 30s currently, and that is the age when men start to become corny motherfuckers, if you know what I'm saying. I don't know. I'm fully aware that I'm corny as balls, and it's not going to get any better. Hey, hey, like, I don't need to be told that I'm corny. I'm I'm aware of that. Thank you. I, I I'm going to continue to do so. I can't help that I enjoy the smaller things in life. Like I used to only care about the big three: money, pussy, power. Now I care about other shit like squirrels, you know, like uh, paint swatches, and I just like it. I just like smiling at people. I'm corn. That's not corny. That's wholesome. But same thing. Sometimes it's like, basically, I'm becoming a dad without without even having kids. It doesn't matter. I'm still laughing at dad jokes. I happen to like that type of comedy. On the other hand, I also like what other dads like, which is very extreme comedy that you could almost argue is not even comedy anymore because it's so real sounding and i actually kind of believe the premises that i'm hey i mean it should be that way right i mean com- comedy should be what you actually believe to some it should be there should be some basis of truth for the premise that you're making a joke about and the same is true for me anytime i say anything that's a little bit like whoa i hope he doesn't actually believe that I don't. I don't believe the punchlines. The premise, yes, I might actually believe in the premise, because otherwise I probably wouldn't be able to sell the punchlines if I didn't believe in the premises. That's just simple logic. If the premise is is sound, then the conclusion... Jesus, I can't even... Let's not start the episode by talking about something that actually takes intelligence to talk about. Let's just get it... I'm corny. That was the point of that of that topic. All right, friends and family. Okay. I am currently the hardest working man in Austin show business. And by that I mean one of them. I'm not I don't think I'm I don't know if I'm literally the number one hardest working, but it doesn't matter. It's hyperbole to encourage myself that I'm on the correct track. And, but, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of people going at it as fervently as I am, um, but not many, you know, like there's a couple, I talked about this on a few episodes ago, how if you're doing your best at comedy or anything, but I'm just, you know, at comedy, especially people could tell because you're everywhere. It's like, okay, I've, I've seen you all over the place and I don't know, they just, they're not afraid to put themselves out there. The people that are working their dicks off at this, they actually try to network. 
they actually send clips to clubs and bookers that they have never seen before. They've never seen them because they want to get on the show. I don't know. Um, I had a problem with that when I was in my first 10 years of comedy. Now that I'm in my 11th year, I don't really have any qualms sending clips to producers or bookers because I've been doing it long enough. Early. Okay, I know I'm pretty good. I know that I'm actually good enough for that, for a show. Not every show. I, am a, I have a specific genre. It's called edgy, dark, problematic, cancelable, whatever you want to call it, uh, controversial. I have a very controversial fucking genre of comedy that I like to do. It's just my favorite because it actually, like, it's like, oh, I don't know. It just gets a nice, fun reaction out of people and me when I see other people do the type of comedy that I do. But that doesn't mean I seek it out when other people happen to do the same type of comedy as me. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not just going to become a fan of somebody just because they have a similar style as me. Like, I don't, I don't know. Cause I guess because people tend to uh, usually, like, newer comics they tend to like recommend other comics to me because they don't realize that i don't care about comedy anymore like i don't care about other people's comedy like i care about my own comedy like i want to do the best i could do to produce comedy for other people but i'm not like at the point where i want to like consume like i already have all my guys i already have all my influences Bill Hicks, Carlin, Sam Kinison, all those motherfuckers that are good. Patrice O'Neill, those are like the ones that come to mind quickly. You know, Louis C.K., is he an influence? I don't know if he's really an Sure, in some ways he's an influence. So anyway, I already have my influences. I'm not looking for more, like, inspiration. If I see somebody doing something similar to me, that'll probably actually stifle my development i don't want to see that oh i'm not as original as i think i am well that's fine you know like i don't there's ways that i'm original that are not just material it's uh the way i project my it's my voice it's my stage presence it's you know it's a way i fucking deliver cadence is a word i've never used on this podcast that's like the more classy way of talking about somebody's delivery uh, it's how you actually go about saying the words. Like, hell, hello there, people. Like, just anytime you take a little pause, that has to do with cadence and just the way you modulate your voice. I mean, there's more to it than just timing, but it's just a way to talk about delivery in a more highfalutin way. If you don't use the word cadence every chance you get, you're not a real comedian. Okay, so I so if you can't tell, I'm working pretty goddamn hard on this podcast. Um, every week is a different theme, kind of not really, but I try to chit, I try to switch it up with the outfits. Like I'm not gonna we, I'm not gonna wear the same shirt multiple episodes, is unless I am out of shirts. Like if I wear a three hundred dollar shirt. I don't know. You kind of only have you can only wear it once. 
that's the thing about designer clothing. Like I got into designer clothing in the past year or two because I don't know, I started having enough. Let's not talk about money. Let's just talk about what we're talking about. Okay. Versace is my favorite designer period. So I've been buying a lot of like shirts, like t-shirts and they cost at least a hundred bucks usually. But if they're really nice, if they're really in style, it's going to be at least 200 and I get the child size and it's still that much. So it's half as much as it would cost if I was wearing, if I was an adult, if I was able to fit into an adult size t-shirt, it'd be a $400 item. So that's why, it, okay, so you might be like, okay, $400, yes, that's a shit, that's a lot of money to spend on a t-shirt. But on top of that initial cost, you also have to factor in, it's going to go out of style pretty quick. And people are going to remember that you wore it already because it's so eye-catching. It's like, oh, that shirt again. I guess you're not as rich as I thought you were, Tim. If you're re-wearing the same shit for three months and like so you can only really wear these fucking fancy shirts like literally once or twice and then people are like okay we don't care anymore you're not in style anymore so that's why designer clothing is only for the rich like i saw somebody uh wearing a full track suit gucci but it was all fucking worn out as if it was thrown into the washing machine like a thousand like eight hundred times like you're not supposed to like use a washing machine on full settings. You're supposed to use gentle mode and cold water, whatever. And he obviously wore this tracksuit, you know, many, many times to the point where it actually is working against his original plan. If you want to look stylish, it has to also be fresh, new. It can't look like it came out of a hamper. Okay, let's loosen it up a little bit. I'm coming off a little bit too serious. Okay, so let's get into the one of the main topics of the episode. I am very serious about podcasting. This is my job. It took many hours to even get ready to press the record button. And I got a second camera now, so it's going to become more interesting. Hey, baby, over there in LA! Woo! A lot of post-production going to have to have happen on this episode. And I can't even talk straight. That's the most important thing is that my asset, my most important asset in show business is my voice because your voice is what broadens you to getting into pretty much any medium in show business, whether it's stand-up comedy, singing, uh, motive, you know, just speaking, podcasting, voiceover, acting. It's all in the voice, you know? That's really the most important asset as a performer. So I should have probably warmed up my voice before pressing the record button. That's something I will make a note of because you don't want to be, like, correcting yourself in the middle of words. It's really annoying, and it makes it harder to edit clips because you have to keep making these micro-edits, like, okay, in between syllables... So I'm trying to get better at that. I should have done a little bit of karaoke maybe to warm up. That usually helps loosen up my vocal cords. Okay, so I'm starting a podcast tour. I am currently booking a podcast tour 
for 2023 for Timmy Gusto to make a name in this world. Timmy Gusto is my performance name. Tim Weichselbaum is like a vestige of my previous career. Before I really took this seriously, I used to just be an open micer. And this year delineates when I'm starting to call myself not just an open micer. I don't even really do open mics unless I have to. You don't have to keep going to the gym if you already have a permanent sense of confidence and abilities. Like, I have an innate sense of humor. I'm not always on, though, so that's why, yeah, I'll still do mics. If there's no, if there's nothing else, you got to still do mics to get on, to know what it feels like to be on stage so that I could just instantly go into performance mode. Right now, I barely feel like I'm performing. I'm just talking and whatever. So podcast tour. I'm taking this seriously. It just popped into my mind like like a couple days ago at like four in the morning. So I wrote it down in my little daily journal that I keep because I'm corny. And I started fleshing it out on another document. It's like, okay, this actually could be a thing that actually is substantial and actually helps other people get their podcast, you know, some exposure. And obviously it'll get people to know who Timmy Gusto is. Because Timmy Gusto, he is always on. If he has to be somewhere, he knows what he has to do to get into the right mindset so that he could be Timmy Gusto because he was made in a laboratory. And so the podcast tour will be starting as soon as possible. Like, you know, I'll start doing them immediately, but I'm still going to call it a 2023 tour because who cares? It's almost that it's already almost 2023. So I'm going to make, it's going to have pretty much everything that a tour has to go with it um which is like a flyer showing all the tour dates in this case the tour dates will just be the venue will just be the name of the podcast that i'm on and obviously and then the date will be this is not that obvious i guess the date is not when i record it it's when it comes out it's whenever they happen to release the podcast so that way i could promote when they're going to drop i could um promote them before they come out. I could be like, okay, this one's on the book, so I could start hyping it. And when it releases, that'll cause it to get more views or downloads than a typical episode of that podcast would probably get. If it's like a very small podcast, which most of them are going to be very small podcasts. I don't care about the production value or the number of listeners. It's about trying to get myself on as many podcasts as possible in the shortest amount of time. I'll do more than one a day. No problem. I live in Austin. I live in a place where there's podcasts happening literally on every corner. So that's a good idea. What else? So I am going to try to, it's going to have not a lot of expenses because this is a business idea. It's under the banner of, of uh, my business. So I, it'll have a budget It'll have expenses, and it'll have maybe, it'll have at least one solid revenue stream. You know, like I'm not expecting to make 
a lot of money off it or even necessarily break a profit. But I'm going to sell merch. That's pretty much all I could do to monetize this endeavor. Sell t-shirts and other gizmo, other things that would be appropriate that people would actually want to buy. And by people, I mean people that actually kind of already like my brand. I don't know, like, I'm trying to establish myself as we speak, so there really isn't any fan base for Timmy Gusto yet. He has like a 100 followers on Instagram. He's He's a nobody. He's a couple months in to whatever he's doing. So if people see, whatever. So... It's going to be, so the merch, um, I thought about this. It's like, okay, I'm not just going to make a t-shirt that says the details. No one's going to buy that. It has to be well-designed. It has to have an aesthetic on it that gives people the same feeling that I have when I look at a Versace, when I shop for clothing online, when I shop for high-end clothing there's this feeling I get like, oh, that's a cool shirt I'm de- or a cool uh, sweatpants. I'm getting that. Like I get, I start buying stuff and convincing myself that it's okay to buy because these are expensive items. Um, so it's like, okay, it's too cool not to buy. That's how my merch is going to be. It's going to be too cool not to purchase. And it won't be expensive. I'm not going to be like trying to make a shitload of money off it. I just... I just know that that'll be really important for memorability. And the flyer itself will change over time because, of course, things happen with scheduling, like the podcast might have to, re- you know, so the the poster will constantly be changing until the end of the year, until 2024 happens, then it'll, it'll be officially over. Because the tour could last all year. I mean, why not? So the poster itself will have historical value. It'll age like wine because people will look back on it. Oh, he was on that podcast before it was anything. Or, oh, how many of these podcasts are still even happening? I don't know. I'm just, I think it's a great way to start Timmy Gusto's career. Because the other thing I'm doing for him is trying to get him on Kill Tony of course, I've you know, that's the name. That character was kind of designed for Kill Tony, and so is his material. I do material that I think would work on Kill Tony. And what is Kill Tony? It's a podcast. So, hey, it all fits together. I could put a Kill Tony appearance on the tour list if I am lucky enough to get up again. Um, Timmy Gusto um, has... What was I going to say about Tim? Oh, yeah. Since Kill Tony is a podcast, you should be trying to focus on being a good podcaster, not just a good comedian, because you only have to do a minute of material. Hey, I got some good news for people like me who don't like going to open mics every day. It doesn't take that much rehearsal to perfect a minute of stand-up. So, you know, that only takes like a couple of mics and doing it at home over and over again like in the mirror like i was talking about on the last episode okay so that's enough about the podcast tour we're going right along through the topics like a professional we're not meandering we're not being okay let's keep going so the timmy gusto brand is something that i'm actually 
also putting a lot of thought into, just like everything else in my new career, I am attacking it with full fervor. There's not a single thing I'm not considering doing or not doing, whether it's personal or professional, like, you know, because the second I started looking at this as a job, I now treat everything else like, you know, a professional approach. Like, it, like I, I no longer want to talk shit as much. <laughs> like, I'm trying to climb the corporate ladder in some sense. I happen to own the corporation that I'm using, so that's that's pretty cool. But whatever. Timmy Gusto has a brand, um, and it it's still developing because by brand, I mean many, many things. Branding is not just a logo. I don't even have a logo. I mean, I have one for Timmy Gusto. I don't even have a logo for this podcast yet. So logos are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to branding. There's pretty much everything you could think of could be part of branding, and that's what I found out last night. I wrote another Google document, and I posted a little bit of it on, on Timmy's uh, Instagram, and it's fucking hilarious because it goes through, has bullet points for every little thing, like personality, uh, image, clothing, accessories, and then under each bullet point, there's subheadings. So I was like, okay, accessories, sunglasses. Under that, there's a subheading. But only wear them when it's sunny enough. If it's not sunny enough, you're still going to have them on your person because it's part of the brand. But it's going to be just hanging from the collar. But sometimes off axis. So that's pretty detail. That's pretty like low level detail that we're talking about when it comes to branding it's it's how i move uh swag was included in it swagger like how i move is critically important it's essential to brand that pretty much everything on this document is essential to the timmy gusto brand how i comb my hair um sweatpants so i i don't know this is worthy of talking about i guess um I'm no longer ever going to wear khakis or cargo pants or anything that looks businessy or nerdy when I'm Timmy Gusto. Because Timmy Gusto doesn't fuck with that type of clothing, that look. He does, it, it doesn't look good on him. It doesn't match his style. So from now on until the rest of my life, I'm going to only wear high-end sweatpants or track pants no exceptions except for funerals that's the only exception where if timmy gusto gets invited to a funeral which is possible comedians die and sometimes they might want i'm really thinking i'm really thinking uh for the future here um they might want timmy gusto to give a eulogy and Timmy Gusto, as much as he is a bombastic asshole, he's not a dick. He will dress up for a eulogy. He's not going to wear track pants to a church unless it's not a funeral. If it's a wedding, 
That's fine. Who gives a shit? Most weddings are just jokes anyway these days. Okay? All right. I'm just kidding. See, I think I'm going to have to start explaining to the audience that I'm not actually meaning the things I'm saying. Like, I kind of did say I meant the premises I'm saying, but not the punchlines. The punchlines are just for style, to get to get a laugh. They have a utility in show business to entertain. So you need punchlines, but that doesn't mean I believe in them. And I think I'm going to have to start setting up my jokes in a way that is more palpable for the general public. Because I don't have an audience yet, so they don't get me. When I do a show or even an, or just an op- obviously an open mic, it's going to be very difficult to do what I'm doing. But even at a show, I probably will have to give the audience a little bit of a handhold and like walk them into my act a little bit, just so they are not like shell shocked by the amount of racism that it <laughs> that I proudly lay onto them like i don't have any shame in any of the material because it's i know it's funny at least i think it's funny um so you know because i do open mic sometimes where i don't get much out of them because the audience thinks i'm like a bad person or like they're you know i could blame them i guess for not getting it but you can't you can't blame them if it's only a four minute set for not understanding that you're being edgy for the sake of comedy, not to actually cause hate mongering, which people are dumb enough to think I'm doing. Like I, I guess they're not as dumb as I don't know. I because I get it usually when when people do that, I get that they're joking, but maybe not because I have a very dry delivery sometimes. So if you're just going up there and being like. So I I endorse the clan. If you just do that, it, it might get a big fucking laugh if it's like a comedy club because they're there to fucking laugh and that's a funny thing to do, especially if you're dressed like this. That's funny as fuck to just go on stage and the first word out of your mouth is I support racism, like something like that, which is the joke that I do in many different variants. It's the same premise and I've done it in so many different ways that it's almost my entire act to just joke about the idea of being racist. Not actually being racist, just the idea that somebody could be racist. That's all I'm doing. So it's pretty PG, I think. Like I think that's pretty, like, not that crazy. Like, it's not R-rated to me. But it is, though, because you kind of have to be a little bit adult you have to be a little bit mature to be like okay he's just joking he doesn't actually endorse hate crimes because there is a serious side of what i'm doing like i i am willing i actually do whatever we'll get more into the second half of this later in the episode i'm gonna just gonna go to the easier topics i'm gonna save the tough topics for when i'm a little bit more warmed up in the episode Okay, we made it to the topic that I'm just that I was just talking about. It's an accomplishment to offend everyone. If if I'm getting people to walk out or like you know comment and heckle and 
unanim if I get a unanimous negative reaction from the crowd, that's kind of hard to do. Like even if you say the worst thing in the world, there'll at least be maybe one or two people in the crowd that are like, "Hey, well, that wasn't that bad." But if you get everybody to fucking hate you, that's a craft. That takes talent. So I don't really appreciate when people give me like a weird look after I get off stage after alienating the entire crowd as if that did not take any skill. I had to earn that skill. It takes stage presence to get people to fucking pay attention, all that shit. But I've never gotten like assaulted. The only thing that's happened is I've gotten like cold looks from new comics that don't get my style. And that's fine. I forgive them because it's usually people that are nice people and they're new. They're very new comics, so they don't know what they're doing. They don't they haven't learned yet that you're not supposed to uh uh pander. It's actually like what real artists do in any field like Shakira even does this is they stick to their vision. And if it's good, other people will like it. You don't have to pander. I don't know. I'm very influenced by Shakira right now because I've been watching some of her music videos. And is there really anybody more successful than her in music? That, like, I can't, I don't know, probably. But she has so many videos that have a billion views. And it's like, yeah, there's really not anybody more successful than her in music consistently through the years her first song that was a hit whenever wherever it still holds up just as well as it did the second it came out she even looks the same she hasn't aged since then because she takes care of herself to the highest degree imaginable she does what i'm trying to do except she's been doing it her whole career so that's why she's amassed such a crazy amount of success she works her she does her best so anyway yeah if a new comic just like like thinks i'm a bad person for doing um racial jokes um or anything you know anything that they think is like a little bit too edgy and they you know start like distancing themselves from me it's fine i'll eventually be more established and they'll see that Whatever I'm doing is working, and they'll probably get over it at some point, or they won't, and that's also okay, because you're allowed to not like somebody. And I don't even think it's that they don't like me. I think they just don't understand that you're a, oh, that it's allowed. <laughs> I just don't think they know enough about the the uh, the, the craft. So I can't get too butthurt that if like some open micer that's been doing it for six months, like all like all of a sudden like doesn't make eye contact with me. Like I have to remind myself, don't make eye contact with people unless they're already in the conversation with you because you're only gonna feel a little bit of awkwardness when they clearly are not comfortable with it because you know like even if you're not anybody if you're just an intimidating person if you're just like an intense person it's very intimidating to make eye contact with somebody and it just causes adrenaline so that's why unless i'm already engaged with a conversation 
it's better to just keep my eyes on the ground. That's just good a good rule for most places in Texas. Like, don't make eye contact with people. Even when I'm driving and somebody's tailgating me who just isn't, you know, because they were like a teenager, a grown, like a, whatever. I'm somebody that's immature and doesn't know how to drive. I don't even make eye contact with them in the rear view. I just go, okay, there's a person behind me. That sucks for them because I'm not going to. I'm not going to change my driving behavior just because somebody else is impatient. Um, if anything, I usually just slow down because I'm a very adversarial driver. <laughs> like I, I, My driving has become so ingrained in the culture around me. I get it. I get why people drive like assholes. And I don't even drive like an asshole. I don't fucking tailgate people. I don't. But what I mean is that something I didn't always do is I didn't aggressively pass people on the right if they were going super slow in the fast lane. Now, since, you know, I kind of understand the rules of the road, I know that you're not supposed to just camp out in the fast lane. So if somebody is, I'll give them, you know, a nice 30 second window to either speed up or get out of the way. In Texas, that usually isn't going to happen because this is a very selfish, nobody wants to move out of the way, like that kind of, it's like a, it has to do with like masculinity, even women have this thing though, um, they're very aggressive drivers, even if they're in the wrong, I haven't been in the wrong in many situations uh, recently, after being prescribed Adderall, I am a pretty good driver. I no longer am confused. I, you know, like I'm pretty damn confident on the road. So what I've started to do pretty much every time I go anywhere is if I have to, I pass people on the right lane and you kind of have to speed up to do that. So in my Miata, I have it on sports mode 100% of the time, 24-7, it's on sport mode because you need to be able to accelerate sometimes. So I floor it. So it makes a pretty noticeable sound that somebody is being passed aggressively. And I'm not actually angry when I do this. I'm just trying to get ahead of them in the most quick and safe way, which happens to be by accelerating as fast as possible. So I'm sure other people go, holy crap, that guy's a fucking asshole. But that's not the case. You're in the wrong lane, and I'm trying to get around you so I can just get to where I'm going. I'm not trying to show you up. I just happen to have a car that makes a little bit of a loud noise when you floor it, which you often have to do. <laughs> okay, we spent enough time on whatever that was, whatever topic that was. I'm actually pretty good at comedy, but. I self-sabotage. That's kind of what I was just talking about. Like, like I make it so much harder than it has to be um, because I like a challenge, you know? I could kill anytime I have a reason to. I'm that confident at this point in my life. I could kill on pretty much anything if I have a reason to. But if I don't have a reason to, I'm probably not going to try to kill. Um, 
I might actually try to bomb on purpose um, only to show that I'm not afraid of the audience. I don't know. I have this weird thing, and a lot of other comics have this too, where they don't cater to the audience. If the audience does something they don't like, all of a sudden they abandoned the whole set and they just start doing whatever they think is funny and like appropriate in the moment, and that usually means lashing out at the crowd or just doing very off-putting material. And I do that all the fucking time because I'm not there to, to win favor by an open mic crowd. I'm there to try out jokes that I've never tried before. Once I've tried them at least once, I don't really need to try them again at an open mic. So that's all open mics are for. And it only takes usually like a couple minutes to get through the new material. So it's very, you could get a lot done in four minutes of stage time. And that's what shows if you're really using it properly. If you could get like, you know, five punchlines in a minute, yeah, you're, you're performing at the highest, at the highest level possible. Um, but in addition to punchlines, you also have to measure the length of the laughs. You have to count how many seconds each last each laugh lasts as well to know what your batting average is as a comedian for every minute of of jokes there should be also 30 seconds of laughter if you're at the highest level possible that's like bill cosby bill cosby was able to get about that much if not more sometimes even more he would get like 50 seconds of laughter for every minute that he was on stage. So there's not really anybody above that in terms of comedy and probably sexual assault too. To be, I mean, he probably also holds the record on that too. So anyway, that's what I'm going for. I'm, no, not the last thing. I'm going for the comedy part of Bill Cosby's career. Not the, does it have to be specified? I hope not. Jesus Christ. I don't want to get canceled for my own job that i hired myself to do i'm i don't know why yeah of course i'm not going to get in trouble i'm pretty sure i own this studio oh yeah so quick thing quick update about the studio it's it's coming along um i yeah it's going to be just a quick thing like i'm i'm currently working on pretty much the last one of the last major steps to where it's actually going to look feel and sound like a professional recording studio and that is the acoustic treatments so this is something that is a very deep topic and requires quite a bit of specialized knowledge to get right most people who run podcasts they just throw up some foam that they buy that they buy on you know Sweetwater or whatever. It doesn't matter where you, where you buy it, but usually they just get this very thin foam padding uh, for their, and they just cover their walls in it. And that only absorbs high frequencies. If you want to absorb low frequencies, you need something called a bass trap. And bass traps need to be at least about seven inches to a foot to actually absorb low frequency energy so this room is going to become a lot smaller volume wise once i actually start hanging up these 
huge bass traps. They're going to be in the front where the where my studio monitors are. They're going to be on the back wall, side walls, ceiling. The smaller the room, the more treatment you need to do. So it's like a catch-22. It's like, well, I can only afford a small room, but that also means I have to spend a shitload more to make it sound good in this room. Right now, it doesn't sound good at all. It sounds horrible. When I play music on my new studio monitors, it's too much bass. The bass just accumulates and you can't really enjoy the music. So this studio is going to be pretty damn professional. It's going to be one of the most mind-blowing podcasting studios on the planet by the time I'm done with it because of not just the uh, the professional treatment that I'm doing, but also just the, the vibe. I'm going to get artwork and cool little things that have to do with my life. And it's just going to be very iconic. It's going to be fucking awesome. Another thing about the topic that I was also touching on with like the whole like doing comedy that not everybody's going to get. Like I have the choice of telling the crowd before I go into the act, hey, just to let you know, I don't actually, this is just a, like what I'm doing is just comedy. So just keep that in mind. Like I might have to start doing that if I actually want to do well at low level shows that, you know, like indie shows. Cause I live in a town where not everybody's doing edgy material. There's a lot of people just doing whatever is palpable to the audience. Cause they don't, they're afraid of getting canceled from their day job as a dog walker or something. I mean, you know, not everybody has the luxury of doing this full time where they don't have to worry about getting canceled. I still have to worry about something. You know, I could, I could get on the no fly list if I get, if I get big enough and keep talking about the topics that I'm talking about, I could easily get on the no fly list. My bank could cancel me and many other problems. I already know I'm going to get banned from clubs. That's no, there's absolutely no um, delusion there. I know a hundred percent I'm going to start getting banned from doing comedy at certain clubs because they're just, they just are not welcome to the genre of comedy that I do. And I have to accept that as much as it sucks to not be allowed to perform your craft, your job that you've been training for a decade. That's just how it is. Sometimes not everybody's going to want to work with you. So even though all I'm doing is the same thing, any other comedian is trying to get as many laughs as possible. I just happen to be trying to do it with a certain type of genre or style. So there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing except for the consequences that it could lead to are obviously going to be detrimental, if not inconvenient, to say the least. You know, like I don't want to get on the no-fly list. So that means I have to become like a super mega millionaire so that I can afford to fly private. Because, you know, once you have enough money... You can't really be canceled from anything in the world. You could just start your own comedy club, you know, like Joe Rogan. So also what this is called. So I don't get offended when comics don't understand my style because it takes talent to see talent. So if you don't think I'm talented, 
it probably just means you're not very talented. Hey, that's okay. I'm not judging. I'm just saying I've noticed a pattern. And in my 10 years of pursuing stand-up comedy, it's usually the ones that I look up to the most that complement what I'm doing. It's not the ones that are just starting out that automatically become my fans because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They don't know what comedy is. They don't know who to book. They just book who's ever popular. You could be the funniest comedian in the world and not be famous. Bill Hicks is my favorite comedian of all time. And he died without any notoriety except for in uh, Great Britain. He was pretty big in the UK. But in his own country, he couldn't even get on The Tonight Show. Isn't that fucked up? And he was the best comedian, one of the best comedians of all time. Undeniably. Nobody disputes this. Like, people will definitely argue that he's not the best, but it's undisputable that he's at least one of the best of all time. So you got to remember that. Don't worry if you're not popular yet. It's actually better to be unpopular and good than it is to be popular and shit. So currently, I'm good, but not popular. So I'm actually having a great time in life right now. It's like I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. I don't care if it's not leading to hundreds of thousands of views yet. Um, I'm already doing it. Like, this is fun. I don't really even need it necessarily to get 100,000 downloads. I'd be fine with 10,000. I think that's enough where I could actually make some money from this. But we're not going to monetize this product until there's at least a couple thousand downloads per episode. Okay, enough about... That's enough housekeeping. Okay, another thing about me that I I found out since the last episode um, that has to do with the same thing that I'm talking about. I may not be the funniest or quickest or most clever comic, but I am definitely one of the weirdest. And I wear that as a badge of honor because when I say weird, I mean that in the best way. Like Austin is known for being weird. They say, keep Austin weird. And now they're saying that with other places like Portland, keep Portland. Well, Good news, Austin. I'm fucking weird as fuck. And that's a good thing because that's who stands out. I'm becoming memorable. People who I don't fucking know remember me. Like they say hi to me. I'm not, this is not an ego, but this is not a, this is not a humble brag. This is just something that I am talking about because I think it's important that you design a look because there's so many people who look exactly the same comedy uh, comedians I'm talking about and I'm just talking about the Austin comedy scene there's so many white dudes who all blend into each other and I don't fucking yeah like I've met them before I've seen them before but I don't fucking remember I don't I can't place a name on them or I don't know who the fuck they are and I used to get the that same thing. It took me like four times of meeting the same person for them to finally go, okay, I know who you are now. And that's becoming less of an issue now 
because I have a very distinct style, voice, cadence, and look. So you got to stand out. And that's what's starting to happen with me. And I'm the one of the weirdest comedians in the Austin comedy scene. That's why I think I actually have a shot at getting something out of Kill Tony other than just a mediocre set. A lot of people go on there over and over again, and they always just have mediocre appearances because they're not weird enough. You got to be fucking weird for that show. People want to see a fucking weirdo. So I'm very happy that I now am no longer looking at it as like a bad thing to be weird. You could be socially awkward. As long as you're aware of it, you could get out of any awkward situation just by acknowledging it. Like if you are in a, if, if something happens like a small social faux pas, like you say something that comes out a little bit rude. You, all you have to do is say, "Oh shit, sorry, I, I didn't mean I didn't mean it to sound that way. I, I'm just interested in this, like, because this is starting to happen with me because I'm still weird." So I was in line at Kill Tony in a very jovial mood, talking to the people in line, in uh, this person who had a very interesting voice, and I was like, "Who do you sound like?" He was like, "Charlie Day. I get I I get it all the time." Charlie Day, fucking, I was like, no, it's not Charlie Day, it's somebody bet more specific, and I was like, oh, Steve-O, you sound like Steve-O, and um, Steve-O happened to be one of the guests on that fucking episode, was just, that was interesting, that was cool, um, but when I said, like, dude, it was so, like, there's, like, I could tell that there's something going on with your voice, like, I could tell that he got a little bit offended, like he, you know, uncomfortable. He got a little bit uncomfortable when I was like, yeah, I could tell that there's something. <laughs> but it's only because I wasn't judging him. I was just interested in learning about his voice because it's just something I'm interested in. So, okay. Okay. Real quick. I don't know if I want to talk about this topic that much, but um. Yeah, I'm going to save that one for our next episode. Okay, my goal, let's talk about this podcast one more time. One more big thing about this podcast that is now set in stone. This is one of the segments that is going to be a permanent fixture of the show. My goal, this is not a joke. My goal is to get Kanye on this podcast, on this very, in this room, He's going to be in this room. This is not a joke. Why am I saying something so crazy? Why would I even think that that's a remote possibility? Well, because he's been on other podcasts. He's been on other podcasts that are way, obviously, more established than mine, like Lex Friedman, Joe Rogan, to name the, the couple that I could think of off the top of my head. Um, And... He need, he's going to be more desperate for platforms now that he's becoming canceled as much as you could possibly cancel a billionaire. Kanye needs a friend. He has friends, but he needs more. He needs not just a friend. He needs a friend who knows how to fucking talk to him and not cut him off, not try to correct him. You can't correct billionaires on their opinions. Like what, why do, where do people get the hubris 
Lex Friedman, to think that you could correct a billionaire's opinion just by telling them not to have that opinion. It's a little more complicated than that. The art of persuasion is a little bit more nuanced than just going like, hey, you shouldn't, you probably shouldn't do that. That doesn't work on billionaires. It doesn't even work on people who make 10,000. It doesn't work on very many people to begin with. So it's especially stupid to try to do it on a fucking iconic world-class, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Billionaire. Who gives a fuck? Um, he's not a second-rate celebrity, but he's, his, he's going downhill in clout. So it's not that unreasonable to think that if I actually make this something that I could probably get Kanye on it. And I would actually know how to talk to him because uh, I have experience talking to people with um, very extreme opinions, more extreme than Kanye's. Kanye's opinion isn't even that extreme. He just says that Jews run media. How's that a controversial opinion if it's 100% true? It's like 99% true that every big media corporation at least has some Jewish people at the highest part of it running, doing the, pulling the strings because they're good at it. That's not offensive to say that Jews are good, to say that anybody's good at something, whether it's a whole group or not, an individual or a group. Why is that so offensive to, to just label a group with a positive attribute? Seinfeld even had a joke about that in the 90s on, on the show. They said, is it, is it really racist to say I like Chinese people? It's like, that's, that was literally a joke. Jerry was like, I like Chinese people. And then Elaine was like, isn't that kind of racist? Like, how's it racist if I like to say I like something? That's pretty much how I look at the whole Jews running media thing. Like, how's that an insult? Like, it takes a lot of skill to do that. It's like, this takes a lot of skill. Okay, so I think that's enough on that topic. Because nobody, because this is not going to go. This whole Jewish anti-Semitism thing, as people call it, it's not going to go away. And putting a label on it is not going to pe make people stop doing it. You could put the ugliest label on something, but that ain't going to take away the validity of that subject if it happens to have some validity to it. So that's why I get I cringe. When I watch that Lex Friedman Kanye podcast, because he was not equipped to have that conversation. I could tell that clearly he's never really gone down the rabbit hole on this particular subject or else he wouldn't have gotten so defensive and like emotional. He wouldn't have been like, oh, don't say that. It's like, no, people are going to keep saying that whether you like it or not. So you might as well actually explore why. People are so obsessed with Jewish culture and Jewish behavior. And the Jewish question is what it's called. That's really what it's called when people talk about this subject. The Jewish question. What are we going to do about these Jews walking around? They're not going anywhere. They're only becoming better and better. We might as well talk about it. Um, and we will. That's one of the things I'm going to make part of my career is to be one of the 
people that unites so-called anti-Semites with reasonable, normal people because there really isn't that big of a difference between somebody who goes around saying the stuff that Kanye does and an average taxpaying citizen. It's just that one has different knowledge than the one has been exposed to different knowledge. So I'm going to spoon feed this knowledge to the people that are not mature enough to do the research themselves. I think I'm equipped for this task. It's more than a task. It's like, it's like a career. This is way more than a task. Because I'm, half, I'm Jewish enough where I, I know. I know how they think. I know how Jewish people operate. I am one of them. I'm becoming better at being that way. Now that I am a woke Jew, I'm acting like how the stereotypical Jewish media person acts. I know how to social climb. I know how to say the right things to people to please them, to get something out of them. It's very transparent when other people do it. When I do it, it's not that transparent because I'm fucking good at it. And other people actually think <laughs> that it's legitimate. No, it's an act. And that doesn't mean I'm not a good person all the time. Like, it's not a whole, doesn't mean I'm always just manipulative. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jewish people, as much as they have certain negative traits, maybe, let's not even say, I don't even think they have negative traits. They just have certain traits that are shown to be negative. They also have a lot of really good traits. So you could be a Jewish. They're, they're complicated. That's the thing about Jewish people that people don't understand is that they're not just one thing. They're not just <laughs> like Jeffrey Epstein. He was a very complicated, nuanced person. Yes, he was pretty fucking evil. But he also did some things for philanthropy. Or else, Bill Gates wouldn't have had anything to do with the guy. So, hey, I got advice for Bill Gates. Isn't that crazy? I'm smart enough to give advice to a billionaire. Hey, Bill Gates, here's how you get out of that awkward interview where they asked why you fucking hung out with the pedophile guy. All you had to say was what I just said. He was a complicated person. He... Just because you do something evil doesn't mean you can't also do good things, motherfucker. If he just said that in the exact same way that I just said it, the interview would have gone so much better. It would have turned into a meme. Microsoft stock would have skyrocketed. And Elon Musk would have been in the same club as him and fucking, him, fucking the same whores. Okay, that went, off, that went a little bit off the rails towards the end there. I, don't know, I was just trying to put some pizzazz on the on the topic bill gates has autism so you can't blame him for being a little bit socially awkward when he gets called out for hanging out with a pedo but me i know how to talk about that shit i'm not ashamed i mean you're sure i'm ashamed i'm ashamed of being around toxic people but i at least am good i'm better than bill gates at explaining why i was hanging out with those people because of science, motherfucker. Hey, you could be good at science and kid diddling at the same time. Okay, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe don't say that. Okay, Bill, if you're still listening, 
just call me up next time for fuck's sake. Just let me call my agent. If you're in an awkward interview, just say, you know what? I'm, I'm not equipped. To let me just text my uh, mentor. <laughs> I'm Bill Gates's mentor. That's how much he fucked up that interview, dog. Okay, let's move to the next topic, doc. Okay, so the, to wrap up the topic of Kanye, he's the only guest welcome on this podcast. Like, I might have other guests after that, but he's the only person welcome besides me on this podcast. This is not the type of podcast where I just have random people on to fill time. I'm pretty good at doing that myself. I'm already an hour into the episode, and I'm barely halfway through the topics prepared. So I don't need guests. I don't know. I just thought it was funny, like how somebody found out that I had a podcast, and they just go, "Oh yeah, I'll do your podcast." Like as like just, just they're just assuming that a I have guests on, and b that I would want some rando that I just met on my podcast, something that I put so much time and effort into, and money. You think I'm just gonna have some random open mic around this thing? Fuck no. Not anymore, at least. I did, you know, not to say any, not to talk shit about the few people that I've had on this podcast. They were good guests, but I've changed the format since then. That's all. Now I treat this as like my fucking religion. So I don't just, I don't, you know, I'm, ver I'm much more touchy about that subject. Of, oh, yeah, I'll do your podcast. Like, no, you won't. Unless you're Kanye West. Okay. Sorry for coming off a little bit dickish there. I was just kidding. Not about the Kanye part. That part I'm dead serious about. Okay. Another new segment that I'm thinking of doing is talking about unexpected passions of mine. Last week I did it with Amy Winehouse. I just randomly ended the show by talking about how I am a devout fan of Amy Winehouse. And that the reason I like doing that is because... I don't know. I, I like showing people that I'm not the way you prejudged me to be. Because there's a lot of prejudice going around right now, like with white people, with white straight men, where we get the most prejudice out of any demographic in the whole world right now. I think. I mean, maybe there's one above us. I don't know. I'm pretty sure Jews are pretty hated too, but I'm also that. So <laughs> I'm pretty hated. I hate to make it a competition, but I'm pretty much the most hated type of thing you could possibly be. So if, if I become successful, anybody can. I mean, Lord knows I'm talented enough. It's just that I'm not the right type of person. Um, so one of my ideas is to keep talking about things that I would normally, that people would go, what? You like Olivia Newton-John? Yeah, she was fucking amazing. Just because I'm straight? I'm not allowed to be just as much of a fan as anyone else of Marilyn Monroe or Judy Garland. You have to be gay to appreciate Judy Garland? No, only if you're a fucking faggot. I'm probably going to edit that out. You're, you have to be a fucking faggot to think that Judy Garland is not fucking awesome. Okay, one more time. You have to be a fucking faggot to think that Judy Garland is only for faggots. Okay, thank you very much. Clip. <laughs> We're going to clip that. Okay, let's wrap it up. One little tidbit for people that host open mics. If you're a new comedian and you 
all the in your powerful enough um, to be trusted with the responsibility of hosting an open mic. Um, here's a great tip: if um, if somebody's been doing comedy for more than five years, let them skip the line. Don't make them wait two hours for a four minute set because if they've been doing it for five years or more they probably know what they're doing enough where they don't want to fucking wait <laughs> as long as somebody that literally has just started doing it a month ago just a little tip um and obviously there's exceptions there's going to be some people who've been doing it for five years who are fucking awful yeah you'll learn who those people are and those people can wait after you've given them a chance. But if those people are able to consistently show that they're at least better than the people that are just starting, don't make them fucking wait three hours. You're hurting the art by doing that because we need to work out material. It's not an option. We need to work it out somewhere. So for the art to flourish... You need to allow those real comedians, those ones that have already decided that it's their profession, to get up as soon as possible. You know? This is not an unreasonable thing to request. This is what I would do if I ran a mic. I already did, obviously. I've run mics before. It's not about friendship. It's not, okay, this guy's cool. This guy is my friend. So he gets to go up whenever the fuck he wants. No, nah, it's not about that. It's about how long anybody's been doing it, whether you know them or not. That's how I would run my mic if I did a new mic. I would have another column on the sign-up form. I can't believe I'm the first person to fucking think of this. Okay, so there'd be another column next to your name with the number of years, not months, years that you've been doing comedy. It's fucking so simple. That's why I'm so pissed off that nobody ever thought of this before. Number of years that you've been doing comedy. Then order the list, make the final list based on that information, not just their fucking name. If you just have their name, you don't know how good they are. If they say they've been doing it for 10 years, chances are they're going to know how to talk into a microphone. So that way you could stagger them into the list, into the lineup, so that if somebody is not doing very well, you don't want to have fucking five shitty comics in a row. Jesus Christ, just so fucking simple to me. But obviously not everybody has this innate ability to know how to run a fucking show. And yeah, that includes open mics. That's where you learn. Fuck, I don't know why that pisses me off. So I guess because it's just so dead fucking... It's like, really? You're going to make somebody who's been doing it for 10 years wait three hours for a shitty fucking four-minute set? They're just there to try out material, motherfucker. They don't look at this as like a fucking big deal. They're there to, to work on something. Don't fucking make them sit around a bunch of hobbyists. Don't make elite hang out with fucking peasants, you cocksuckers. Okay. I think we uh, covered that topic pretty well. Let's just wrap it up pretty soon. Okay. Comedy is subjective, and my subject is being bad at comedy. 
I'm a very dark comedian, and I already talked about that. I'm trying to achieve the same thing as clean comedians. I'm just trying to make people laugh. So I'm not a fucking bad person just because I have jokes about potentially, about hypothetically being racist. I'm not even actually being racist in the joke. I'm just talking about the idea of being a racist person. And that's a pretty original fucking angle. So I'm going to keep doing it. The only thing I'm going to change is I'm going to start telling the crowd what I'm doing a little bit. Because sometimes you have to. If it's a short set and you're not the headliner. Because I'm trying to be fucking professional. So I do want to kind of be able to get something out of even a really amateur situation. Okay. I used to be an incel. If you can't tell by my by this episode, I'm clearly not a fucking incel anymore. I mean, look at me. I'm fucking killing it. I'm the fucking shit. You think I'm a fucking incel? Hell no. I fucking... I'm way worse than... Now I'm worse than an incel. Now I'm like a fucking cocky... Doesn't even care about getting laid. Fucking short, white dude. I don't even fucking care about pussy anymore. I mean, okay, I think about it sometimes. But it's not all I care about anymore. I don't care about the three things in life. Pussy, money, and power. I care about the little things. I hope the way I was looking into the camera did enough to explain that topic. I don't want to have to go more into depth. And another thing is I was never delusional as a comedian. Like somebody said, it takes a little bit of delusion when you're just starting out. Because you need to think that you're good enough to be a comedian. Well, it turns out, nah, nah. I was never delusional. I knew I was funny long before I ever thought about doing stand-up. I was a class clown. I was a, I killed in fucking English. Uh, yeah, English, whatever it was called. I would write these journal entries and they would have the, you would, uh, you would read your journal to the whole class. And I fucking murdered so i knew i was funny so no i was never delusional and the second you start doing stand-up you're gonna find out if you're funny enough to at least keep doing it because there's gonna be other people in the same boat some of them are gonna be worse than you so you'll be like okay at least i'm better than that guy so i've always been at least better than some people and even when i first started people told me that i was good so there's no delusion there I also didn't think I was ready for big shows before I was. I knew that I wasn't. Now I'm only just beginning to think that I'm ready for actual paid gigs. And by that, I only mean like guest sets. I'm still crafting my 10-minute set. So that I'm not trying to do stand-up right now. That's what a professional would do. A professional would not try to get on shows if they're not ready for them. I want to actually give the audience what they paid for. So that's why I'm currently not open to booking stand-up gigs, only podcasts. I would take a gig, but I would be like, okay, I'm only going to do five minutes. I could do five fucking minutes. Eh. I could do five minutes just by walking around the stage and just talking uh, off the top of my head. That isn't that fucking hard when you got my level of experience anyway 
So one last thing to end the episode. So the whole thing I talked about, the whole Jewish thing, the Jewish question, which even that phrase alone can get you in trouble just by saying that phrase, but it ain't going anywhere. Starlink and Twitter being owned by Elon means that people in rural areas of the country now have cheap internet access and Twitter is not going to ban them anymore. So you're going to be seeing a lot more racism up the pike. They're coming down the pike. So, yeah, you can't just censor it away anymore. So you're going to have to start to learn. And by you, I mean just whoever happens to not like this type of uh, topic. If you're very uncomfortable with this topic, I'm just telling you, you better do something about that because it's not going anywhere. People like me are only becoming more sought after. Because we're not afraid to say the truth. So don't be a fucking pussy. And actually give me a chance to actually explain what I'm saying before you just write me off. Because I'm pretty sure I know what I'm talking about. Okay? So this has been episode 53 of the Tim Weichselbaum Show. I hope y'all have a good rest of the week. I'll see you on the next one. Peace. Bye. Love. Success. Motivation.